0: out of the scriptures. We believe that God's word is inspired by the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And maybe you didn't intend to be part of a church gathering today, but God has brought you here. There's a reason why you're down here this morning and there is truth for you to receive from God's word. And, and I hope all of us can receive it. I know it's a little bit distracting. It's a little bit crazy when we get in the park and we have all the families. I've got five little ones myself that have been brought down here. And uh, so there can be some distractions. I want to remind you, this teaching is going to be on the podcast. It's so important that we hear from God's word, that we can understand God's word, that we can follow along in this series that we're doing in the book of Hebrews. But it's also so important for us to be community. And I love nothing more than the fact that the next generation gets to come together in some of the controlled and uncontrolled chaos of the park. And they're going to be left with the impression that church is community. It's family. It's a place of love. It's a place where we get to eat together. We get to have fun together. So maybe the kids aren't going to pick up on everything I say, and maybe you're going to pick up on less that I say because of the presence of the kids. But we pray that the Lord is going to leave them with an impression of what church community is all about. So many beautiful things happen when we're together in this setting. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, let's open up there. We're in this series in the book of Hebrews. Last week we talked about that was my introduction, how Orange County is always looking for something better. We always want the upgrade. And and so we can relate to the original audience that received this letter, the Hebrews. That you know, they were looking for what's best, what's better spiritually speaking. And they had received Jesus, they'd placed their faith in Jesus and in the message of the cross. But then they started to think, well, maybe there's something better somewhere else. So the writer said, guys, no. You have what's best. Jesus is the better priest than the priests of this earth and the pastors and spiritual leaders of this earth. And he serves in a, in a higher sanctuary than just the earthly gatherings that we might have. And he's enacted a better relationship with God based on better promises, a better covenant than anything that they had left behind or anything that we might look to other than Jesus himself. Now, we turn the page into Hebrews 9, and think of it like last week we spent our time looking at ours, into this future relationship with God that we experience in the present and in what's to come. But this morning, we're going to kind of zoom in on the key that opens the door to those promises, to that relationship with God in heaven, and that key is the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. So, so much is going to be said about it here in Hebrews chapter 9. The key here is that Jesus' sacrifice, the key that opens the door to the promises that we have reserved for us in God, this relationship we have with God, it is far greater than the sacrifices of the system they left behind, than any of the religious practices that you can find in any belief system in the world, because the payoff is so much greater. Now, Hebrews 9, it is not a simple passage, just like Hebrews 8 wasn't, just like Hebrews 7 wasn't. And and guys, when we go to the park, we don't go bible light; We still get into it. We're still going to read this whole chapter, so I know that there's a lot of distractions, but hopefully I'm going to be able to distill this down and really communicate just how rich the sacrifice of Jesus truly is. Let's read this chapter together. Maybe you want to pull it out on your phones. Maybe you just want to listen. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now the first covenant, that is the first relationship and the first promises for relationship that God established with his people, had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lamp stand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. That's just the details of the old earthly house of worship. Verse six, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered in that old system were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order that's brought in with Jesus. But when Christ came as high priest so the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. It's not on earth. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like they used to, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and the branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law, that is the old covenant, requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the one true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, that's all of us, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. Now, as I said, there's a lot said here in Hebrews chapter 9, but what's being conveyed all throughout this chapter is that Jesus' sacrifice is better than the sacrifices of the Old Testament, of the old system, and of any religious practices in the world today. And the first reason we're given that his sacrifice is greater is because his sacrifice secures unlimited access to God's presence. Whereas the sacrifices of the old system only brought a limited access to God. If you were listening during the reading, the first 10 verses of chapter 9 go into all the accoutrements, right? All all the structures of the Old Testament earthly house of worship. That is, the tabernacle all the temp, or the temple. And it had all these different elements, right? Uh, the ark and the, you know, Aaron's staff and the manna and the incense and, and, and you may not know what all those things mean because you're not coming out of that culture like the original readers were. But every aspect of the Old Testament temple, it had a meaning, a symbolic meaning. It represented something to them. Just like on many of you, many of you are tattooed in our congregation. I know sometimes it's divided along generational lines. You know, the, maybe the more seasoned folks in the church, there was a different feeling about tattoos, maybe you outlawed your children from having tattoos, that clearly did not work because in future generations, it's accepted that you'd have tattoos. In fact, because I don't have any, I feel a little bit judged by my own peers, the millennials and maybe even the Gen Zers. So, you know, but what if I was to go to someone with tattoos in this congregation, every single one of those tattoos for many of you has a symbolic meaning, like my wife has many tattoos, she's accepted by my peers. And she can tell you, hey, this stands for this, this means that. That's all the different aspects of the temple. They all had various meanings. For you, maybe some of your tattoos represent a mistake, a lapse in judgment. Let's be honest. Some of the elements of the temple represented the lapse in judgment on the part of the people. But the key is... Of Hebrews chapter 9, that the structure of the temple itself was a metaphor and a symbol loaded with meaning because there was this one building and it had two sections inside of it. There was the holy place, which was the larger room where the priests performed, the, the spiritual leaders of God's people performed a lot of their daily duties. And there was the most holy place which was considered the throne room of God. That's where God's presence dwelt. And there was this massive veil, this massive curtain that separated the two rooms. Now, as I've mentioned many times in this series, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. You're going, why is Andrew bringing this up again? It's because it's a big deal to the writer of Hebrews. And the writer keeps bringing it up again and again. And because we preach the Bible, if he brings it up again, I got to bring it up again. The writer says, that that most holy place was accessed by only one person the high priest at only one day a year for only a very short time and that was to offer sacrifices for the sins of the entire nation so that they could be forgiven Now that represented something, that limited access that was set up in that old covenant and old system. Think about it like my Disneyland passes that I've gotten from time to time over the years of living here in Southern California. I'm on the cheapest plan. I've always been on the cheapest plan, the Southern California plan. And I think less so than that pass communicating my access to Disneyland, it communicates my lack of access to Disneyland because I think I can go to Disneyland with that cheap pass less than I'm kept from going to Disneyland with that cheap pass. There are more blackout dates than there are dates I can actually access the park. The Old Testament temple was the same. So the writer says in verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this structure that was set up, that the way into the most holy place, into God's living presence had not yet been disclosed. It was built the way it was to demonstrate the very limited access people could have to God. In fact, the majority of people could not access him at all. But Jesus, verse 12 tells us, entered in for good, and not into this earthly shadow of a building, but into the direct presence of Of God in heaven. Verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like that high priest would do on that one time a year for that short period, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood that was shed on the cross, thus obtaining eternal redemption. It's through his access. To God, his forever eternal access to God, opening up that way into the most holy place that we too can enter into relationship and God's presence. It reminds me of my brother. My brother was in a somewhat famous band when I was growing up and I would go to the concerts and I love going to the concerts because my brother had access backstage because he had the ability, because he was in the band he had some fame associated with him, so he had access. Me? I had no ability. I had no musical talent. I had no fame. No one knew who I was. But because I knew my brother, so I was also welcomed to the place that I would otherwise be restricted from. That's what this is telling us in Hebrews chapter 9. Through relationship with Jesus, we now have access, unlimited access to God's presence. That is why when he was crucified, three of the four gospel accounts that tell the story of Jesus' life, when he was crucified, it says, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, right? The throne room of God. It was torn from top to bottom. It was to indicate the barriers to accessing God's presence were going to be eliminated forevermore. Now wait, access... You know, maybe granted, but how can human beings realistically approach a holy, transcendent, awesome creator God? The priests of old, the writer reminded us, needed to physically cleanse themselves with the blood of animals before entering God's presence or else they would die but that's exactly it. The second reason given that Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the sacrifices of the old covenant, of the old agreement, of the Old Testament, is because his blood has the power to cleanse not just our bodies, but our very conscience, to cleanse our very souls so that we can approach God with this access that we now are granted. Now, before we go on, you may be wondering What's the deal with all this blood and blood being seen as a cleansing agent? I mean, when I'm doing laundry, I don't really employ blood as a detergent in my laundry. That's not going to be helpful, but let me give you some context. Blood in their time, and to a certain extent still in our time today, blood is symbolic for life, the life force of a being. But again, why did it have to be shed by the high priest to cleanse them when approaching God in the most holy place. Well, just think, when the human being, flawed as it is, inferior before God as it is, filled with sin, filled with wrongdoing, so temporary and frail as we are, think about yourself with all that you know that goes on in your mind and in your life and in your heart If you were to approach the manifest presence of the holy, transcendent, all-powerful God, what do you think would happen to you? Think about it like what flesh could survive on the surface of the sun? Right there, that is nuclear fusion taking place constantly. That is concentrated energy. (laughs) That is concentrated heat. And uh, that thing will burn you if you sit out here right now. And and it's at least three miles away, that thing. And it could still burn you from that distance. I'm just kidding. I, I It's not a conspiracy theory. I, I know it's like hundreds of thousands of... I, I didn't look it up. But it's far, and yet it can still burn us because of the power and the energy. What flesh, what living organism could live on the surface of the sun because of its concentrated heat and energy? Now think about God's presence as concentrated Holiness and what unholy being could live in the presence of concentrated holiness. The purpose then of the blood of the animal sacrifice was to represent the life of the one offering it as a substitute for their own death. The animal absorbs your failure and your penalty so you could approach God safely So think about the priest applying the blood of an animal to cleanse them, to prepare them to go in the presence of God, sort of like a diver would put on a diving suit. You know, the diver puts on a diving suit so that they can enter into the uninhabitable space of the ocean's depths. Right, We human beings, we can't live and sustain life in that environment. So a diver puts on a diving suit to protect them externally, physically, so they can enter into that environment. It's the same thing with space. An astronaut puts on a space suit to prepare themselves to enter into the uninhabitable environment of space to protect them physically. So the priest needed to cleanse themselves with blood so that they could enter into the uninhabitable human space of the transcendent manifest presence of God's glory and holiness. Now, as an aside, I know all this seems very archaic and outdated, and you feel very civilized today. I know many of you do. And, and so this whole talk about blood is very off-putting. But guys, I got a question for you. How do you think our chicken ended up here today? We're going to eat some chicken at the potluck, and I want you guys to know they weren't born dressed in garlic and butter and gleaming the way that we're all going to be receiving it. We still derive life from the sacrifice of the lives of other beings. Even vegetarians, and I know there are many here in Orange County, are eating the life of plants to nourish their own life. In the ancient world, this whole process wasn't out of sight, out of mind, civilized like it is for us. They were faced constantly with the stark reminder that our sin, our wrongdoing before our creator comes with a penalty. And that penalty is life itself that our creator has first given us. Now the problem was with the old system, these perpetual sacrifices could only temporarily cleanse the offerer in a physical way, in an outward way, so says the writer in verse 9. It's like the analogy of the spacesuit or the diver's suit working to protect us physically. That, that's all the sacrifices of the old system could do. It was all external. And the priests knew it was just temporary. They'd have to offer it all again in the future. Do more, do more, sacrifice more just to maintain their limited access on an annual basis once a year, one person before a holy God. And you all know what it's like when you're at the party, you're at church, you're at a gathering like this, and you've got this constant nagging division between yourself and someone else. You know, you guys have been at a party. You guys have been at a family gathering at minimum, right? Right you come to a gathering like this and you know you're at odds with someone and maybe you tried to make amends but it wasn't enough and now there's this rift between you and it's uncomfortable and it's nagging and it's taking away from the experience the whole time. So the priests had that constantly. So all human beings had that nagging idea in their mind. It's not going to be enough. I've got to offer more sacrifice. Their conscience was always stained. They would never measure up. But Christ's sacrifice... His life upon the cross offered in heaven was better in that it was given to cleanse the conscience, the soul, the mind, the heart, the inner life for all who believe forevermore. His offering was the only one so sufficient so as to remove the voice in our head that knows it is not right before God. To eliminate the guilt to eliminate the need to constantly do more to make up because it's already been done by Jesus himself. In Jesus, you can rest easy. Your mind can be at ease. Your heart can accept God's grace because the blood of his life offered for you has fully covered your life, past, present, and future. You're now good with God through faith in Jesus. This is the new covenant, the new agreement between us and God enacted through Jesus' better sacrifice. And that is the third reason The writer of Hebrews says that his sacrifice is better than the sacrifices of the old agreement where it was just constantly they were offered in this perpetual place of work and guilt that could never measure up. Now we have a new agreement, this new contract built on better promises as we discussed last week. But when it comes to signing on the dotted line, we don't have the power to accept the terms. Because it says in the scriptures that any agreement between God and man, any covenant that's going to be established has to be established through the shedding of blood. The writer says that's what makes it like, you know, this will, a will doesn't take effect until the person dies. So it was with the old covenant. The Bible says that Moses laid out the terms of the old relationship with the temple and the sacrifices and everything. And he told the people, this is what you've got to do. And this is what God's going to do. Are you going to do it? And the people said, yes. And so Moses took a sacrifice. He offered it. He sprinkled blood on the scroll of the covenant. He sprinkled blood on the people. It was to seal it, accept the terms and establish it. They needed to do that to cleanse themselves, to enter into the agreement. Now the terms of this new covenant are so much greater, so much superior that there was no animal, no person perfect enough and sinless enough so as to attain to it and seal it and finish it. It's like Here's this line of credit being offered to every single one of us, this free access to God in heaven, this cleansing of our consciences forevermore. But you have to have a 900 credit score to be able to sign on the dotted line. And all of us say, well, that's impossible. The best a human being can have is 850, and my credit score is 520. You know, I can't sign on the dotted line. I don't have the qualifications. By the way, guys, that's just an analogy. I don't want you to fear for my financial security. But in this new covenant, it is the sacrifice of Jesus' perfect life that enacts the promises, that confirms the terms and signs for us on the dotted line where we did not have the qualifications to be able to sign it. And what does this new contract obtain for us? Through Jesus' sacrifice, this new agreement is established between us and God, that cleanses our consciences forevermore and grants us unlimited access to his presence through number four, the permanent forgiveness of our sins. That's the fourth reason the writer here gives that Jesus' sacrifice is better than the sacrifices of old because of the permanent forgiveness of sins. So many different ways this is communicated in this chapter. Verse 12, Jesus has obtained our eternal redemption, permanent it's forever, eternal redemption. He's died in our place forever. Verse 15, so that we may receive an eternal inheritance. That's forever. We have access to it forever. His presence in eternity, in heaven forevermore. How? He's died as a ransom to set us free from sin. That's verse 16. Verse 26, he has appeared once at the culmination of the ages. too. and I, I, I love this phrase. He's appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages, to do what? To do away with sin. The stain of sin is done in our lives through Jesus. You know, a stain is the remnants. Like, you drop some ketchup or whatever on your shirt from the hot dog, there's the error, then there's the stain that just remains. It's a reminder of your errors. In Jesus, sin is done away with. The errors and wrongdoing the stains and the remnants and the reminders he has appeared to do away with sin through his once and for all, all sufficient sacrifice. With the earthly priests and the constant sacrifice of animals, it was the perpetual and daily and annual traditions and routines. And it reminded you and I of the stain of our sin and our wrongdoing as much as it constantly was atoning for it. Even on the day of atonement, right? The high priest, he enters the most holy place. He offers a sacrifice. You know, that was one sacrifice. But there was another part of the Day of Atonement, and it was the scapegoat. We use that term even today, right? They would take a goat, the whole nation, the high priest would be there. He'd lean on the goat, and he'd say, all the wickedness and all the rebellion and all the sin of this community is on this animal, and now we're going to send it off into the wilderness. And it's like God is going to forgive our sins from the last year. For the, for the, you know, the rest of the time. And they'd send it off. But I wonder, I just had this thought in my mind. How often did that goat the next day wander back into the community? And they're like, oh man, that didn't work. You, like, I just, I just, a goat doesn't know. You send the goat off. And it's like, can you take that thing another five miles past the community? So, so we don't have to be reminded that our sin is back. Like, is that an omen before God? But even if the goat never wandered back, You still had to do it every single year, and so you were reminded of your sin all over again. Jesus' sacrifice is spoken of as superior in such a way as it is not needing to be offered again and again. It is the fulfillment of the promise that God said he would remember our sins no more. Our sin in Jesus, it's over the hill and it's gone. It's not coming back into view. You know, on the 4th of July, it was madness, and the 5th of July is still madness. The 6th of July, it's HB, so there's just so many fireworks, but we have the next level of dangerous. We had sky lanterns being lit in our neighborhood. Do you know what those are? They're like the paper lanterns that you put fire in the middle of, and it's like a hot air balloon, right? And they're really beautiful, and I just imagine that's the worst idea ever. That's why they're outlawed. They're against the law. But in HB, you know, we got a rebel spirit. So someone's setting off these beautiful but dangerous sky lanterns. And I just get that image when I think about how Jesus has done away with our sin forever because I watched that sky lantern and its flame off into the night. And it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it vanished. And it was no more. That is the work of Jesus, to do away with our sin. It is out of view. It's gone. This is what makes Jesus' sacrifice better than the sacrifices of the old system. None of those sacrifices could do any of this. And there is no system of belief or religion with its practices that can promise you to do the same. Jesus' better sacrifice, it cleanses our conscience. There's nothing between us and God anymore because Jesus has accomplished it. He's finished it. We have that unlimited access to God's presence. The sin is done away with. A new agreement is enacted. Man, I want this to sink into our hearts. The writer of Hebrews just going, man, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? What you got? That's what I said last week, right? Anytime we're tempted to think better, we got to be reminded by the Holy Spirit. We already have what is best. We already have what is best. And he's not done. He's saying, do you get it now? Do you get it now? You have what is best. I want us to receive that in prayer this morning. Would you enter a time of prayer with me? And Heavenly Father, the, the first group that I want to pray for here is anyone who has not placed their faith in your son, Jesus. Maybe they're walking through the park. Maybe they're just going about their day. They didn't expect to hear a message from the Bible. Maybe they've turned away from the Bible. Maybe they've turned away from church community because of their past, because they've been hurt. And yet, God, you're speaking. It says in your word that every single one of us lives and then we die And we face judgment. We come before our creator. We didn't invent our own life. We didn't give ourselves life. There's an expectation, a responsibility that you placed on our lives. God, you designed us. Why do we have the capacities we have? Why can I speak right now and people can understand me? Why is there love? Why is there deceit? Why is there hatred? God, these are the things that are a reflection of our creator. And every single one of us, Lord has not lived into the full design of who you made us to be. We know it. There isn't a single human being on earth that doesn't have that wedge in their conscience that says, I've fallen short. There's something wrong. There's distance. There's division between me and my creator. I am not perfect. I don't know how to get to God. I don't know how to get to something greater than this life. Lord, that's our weakness. That's our sin. And if you left us in it, If we just came before you at the end of our life in judgment, we'd receive that penalty. We're not deserving of this gift of life. And yet, Lord, because of your love, so it says in the message of Jesus, you made a way. There's a sacrifice that's a substitute for our own life. It's Jesus offered once and for all upon the cross that our sins could pass out of you. You would do away with them both the errors themselves, the stain of sin in our lives, the judgment and consequences, all of it fading, 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 and out of view and remembered no more by you because it's already been covered. Our conscience cleansed. Lord, for anyone that doesn't have that experience, who hasn't placed their faith in you, would they do so right now? Would they say, Jesus, I believe in you? I trust in you that your sacrifice covers my sins. I want to live for you. I want to seek the truth of your word. I want to live your ways. God, for those of us who are gathered here who've already confessed that, do a work by your Holy Spirit, that you would cleanse afresh our consciences. Never could they experience that. They always felt like they were trying to match and to make up for what they lacked. Lord, we can rest Our hearts can receive your grace. We don't have to come in here and think that uh, there's a wedge between us and you. There's no distance because of what Jesus did. We're one. We're good. We can serve you. We can live for you. We don't have to hold anything back. Before we couldn't even enter into your presence, now we can call on you as our Father in heaven. We can rely on you for strength and what we need every single day. Lord, draw this church family closer to your heart. Draw this church family into the confidence that we have as we stand firm upon the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to give us confidence. It's going to give us strength and power, not our power, your power, God. Fill my brothers and sisters this morning with that encouragement. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.